But if you imagine you're looking up in the sky and you see the sun, it's going to expand out to where it basically covers the entire sky because it's going to be so large and it will probably become quite uninhabitable for humans quite quickly, I would say. So Earth not going to be the place to be at that point. Earth not the place to be, no, no. Far, like far away, ideally past Pluto somewhere, I think would be safer. From the Museum of Science in Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we ask for answers to the most earth-shattering questions we've ever gotten from our visitors. I'm your host, Eric, and whenever we talk about the solar system in our museum programs, students are always interested in what will happen in the future, the far future. Often we get asked, what will happen to the sun, and what will that mean for the earth? To explore the fate of the solar system, I called Dr. Joshua Blackman, an astronomer at the University of Tasmania who specializes in searching for planets that orbit other stars. One of his team's most recent discoveries gives us new information about what happens to planets when their stars reach the end of their life cycles. Dr. Blackman, thanks so much for joining me on Pulsar, all the way from Australia. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. This cool discovery that you made, we need a little bit of background before we can really understand it. It kind of involves the evolution of stars and what happens to them at the end of their life. And that is a question we get all the time. So what happens to the sun when it runs out of its hydrogen fuel? Right. So the, the sun is about four and a half billion years old. Uh, and in about five billion years, it's going to start to run out of its fuel. Uh, and then it will expand into what's known as a red giant. So it's going to expand to about 100 times its size. And when this happens, it's going to swallow up Mercury and Venus, completely destroy them and probably destroy the Earth. If it doesn't destroy the Earth, the Earth will might, might be covered in lava lakes. The continents will be all messed up. So we're going to not be having a very fun time if we're still around then. Um, and then it will contract back down into the corpse of a star, which is known as a white dwarf. And so this, this white dwarf has run out of its fuel. It's about the size of Earth, but half the mass of the sun. So you can imagine how dense that's going to be. And it just sits there and cools for millions and millions of years. And so the inner planets will be destroyed, but the outer planets, the big gas giants, uh, we expect them to survive. Yeah, so that sounds like a really rough time to be a resident of the inner solar system or any star system. Your star gets 100 times bigger, and you know that means we'd be inside of it right now. That's crazy. Absolutely, absolutely. So if we, if we want to survive, we're going to have to go much further, further away from the, the hot star in the middle. But we've got time. You said a couple billion years. Yeah, we've got time. We don't have to figure it out. Our kids don't have to figure it out. But in a billion years, we wouldn't want to start having a plan. And then five billion years from now, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll be all over the galaxy and it'll just be something fun to watch by then. Hopefully that would be amazing if we're all over the galaxy by then. Yeah. So that's the inner solar system is pretty much done. But what about the outer solar system? You mentioned that some of those outer planets was the theory for a long time that maybe something could survive that or would the gravity of the star change enough that we'd see planets kind of escaping and going off into space um, before this new discovery? Was it thought possible or likely or unlikely that anything could survive out there? So the general theoretical idea is that these big gas giant planets like Jupiter and Saturn will survive. They're probably going to move slightly further away from the star because the star gets less massive. So the sun will get less massive and the gravity will become smaller. So it'll move slightly further away. But we don't expect the, the planets to lose their orbit from the sun or anything like that. 
Um, and our discovery confirms that this general idea that we have about the future of the solar system is probably correct. Awesome. So can you go into that and exactly what you found? Right. So we found a solar system towards the middle of the Milky Way, about halfway to the middle of the Milky Way, which contains a white dwarf, so the corpse of a star orbited by a planet about 40% larger than Jupiter, at about a distance similar to what we expect Jupiter to be in about 5 billion years. So this is the first time we found a system around a white dwarf which resembles what the expected future of the solar system is going to be. So a planet that survived that whole entire process, that planet was just along for the ride, and now is, is it in a pretty stable orbit around that white dwarf? Uh, as far as we can tell, yes. We, we think it didn't have too rough a time during this evolutionary process. It wasn't interacted by other planets coming in and pushing it around or anything like that. So it's incredible that it can survive that process, but it's even more incredible that we could find it because we've talked to other astronomers before who are searching for exoplanets, and some of the main methods that they use are things like a transit. So that's when a planet blocks out the light from a star, but a white dwarf... As you said, it's way smaller than a normal star. It's only the size of the Earth, so it's tiny compared to a regular-sized star. I imagine that it's really hard to get transits of white dwarfs, so you had an entirely different method that you're able to discover this planet going around this white dwarf. So can you talk about that and how it works? Yes, yeah, so the, the advantage of the method we use microlensing is that it doesn't rely on the brightness of the host star. So that means we can look at white dwarfs because they're very, very faint, because we don't need to see the light from them. So microlensing is based on theory of general relativity made by Einstein back in the 1930s. He predicted this phenomena. And basically, if you go out into the night sky and look up at the, the Milky Way, the very dense star field of the Milky Way, there's so many stars up there. And if we just point our telescopes at that and wait for a really long time, at some point, there's going to be a star that moves in front of another star, because everything in the Milky Way is moving. And when this happens, the light from the really far away star gets bent by the gravity of the star closer to that. From Earth, we see that as basically an increase in brightness. And so we point our telescopes at the Milky Way, wait for this to happen, wait for this increase of brightness to happen. And then by tracking that increase and decrease in brightness, uh, we can tell things about the, the system, like maybe there's a planet there. This is what we did 10 years ago. And then, then what we did is that we followed this up using the Keck telescope, which is a giant 10-meter telescope on, on Mauna Kea in Hawaii. Because everything's moving, we could actually see these two stars move apart. What we expected to see was we expected to see just a star like our sun. We expected to see these two stars move apart, we see this star. But we didn't actually see this star. And because we didn't see it, that means it must be something very faint, which in this case happens to be a white dwarf. So you couldn't actually pick it up with the telescope. Even the giant telescope on the top of Mauna Kea wasn't good enough to pick it up. That's right. Even this giant 10-meter telescope, you know, it's got 36 hexagonal pieces of glass stuck together. Even that couldn't see it. So therefore, it had to be something faint, but you actually had the effect. So you knew there was a star there because the lensing happened because of the gravity. So you can kind of deduce that it was something not that bright, but still had enough mass, therefore a white dwarf. Absolutely, yes. Very exciting. <laughs> so these are kind of happenstance. This isn't you saying, oh, I think we should look at this star tonight and see if there's an exoplanet around it. Like you said, you're just looking at lots and lots of stars and seeing when these events happen. That's right. That's right. So microlensing happens in about one in a million stars. So we have to observe a lot of stars to see these microlensing events. 
And most of them aren't planets. You know, most of them are just stars coming in front of other stars. And so what we're looking for is that little blip, the little telltale blip that, that points out that it's a planet. And, and in this case, that's, that's what we saw. So the microlensing itself is pretty rare, but to have that extra planet in there that you can pick out is kind of a super bonus rare. Oh, yeah. We, we only detect a few of these per year. So uh, compared to the other exoplanet methods, it's not as common. But the advantage is we can see planets that are much further out, so way further, deep, deeper into the Milky Way, but also planets which are further from their sun. So this is at, at you know, the distance of Mars to Jupiter, whereas other methods like transits uh, can't tend to get out that far. Yeah, so we hear about some of the telescopes that are looking for exoplanets. They are looking in our neighborhood kind of by design, because that's some of where we'd like to find exoplanets, but also that's their limit. We can't really discover them that far away. So this sounds like a great way to kind of get a more of a survey of the entire galaxy, not just put out in our backyard. But I mean, you said most of the way to the galactic center, that's so far away. Very, very far away, whereas the majority of the other planets found by the other methods are within, you know, 20 parsecs. Yeah, you can look at those maps of where we've found all the exoplanets that we found so far, because it's up to almost 5,000 now, last time I checked. And there's lines going all across the Milky Way, and they all the lines stop pretty close to where they start. And then there's a couple that are really far away. So I imagine this is probably one of the farthest ones that we've seen so far. It's one of the farthest ones. Most of the microlensing ones are the far ones away. Why is this in particular exciting? This exoplanet that we found going around a white dwarf, what does it tell us about something like the fate of our solar system? So what this tells us is that the picture we had of the evolution of our solar system is likely to be true. So there have only been a couple of other planets detected around white dwarfs, only four other ones, planets or planet candidates. And none of them really look like our solar system. You know, one of them has a planet that's like thousands of times the distance from Mercury away from its sun and the other ones around a pulsar. And so they're kind of unusual objects, unusual systems, whereas this one is kind of probably what we expect to be common in the universe. And so this discovery uh, shows that, yeah, the picture we had is likely to be correct. It's always great when we make a discovery that says, hey, remember what we thought of and remember what we modeled? Remember what we predicted? Here's something that shows that we were pretty much right. Yeah, pretty much. I'm sure that I'm sure the theorists are very happy. (laughs) So what's next in this field? Are you just kind of doing lots of these microlensing events and seeing what interesting things come up? Or are you looking for anything specific? Are you hoping to find more stars around white dwarfs? What's kind of on the horizon? So this discovery was made as part of a program to prepare for the Nancy Grace Roman Telescope, which is a NASA mission, which is going to launch in the mid-2020s. And with this telescope, we hope to discover dozens more of these planets around white dwarfs, which should be, which should be very exciting. Um, And in addition to that, with this particular object, uh, we hope to be able to observe it with the Hubble Space Telescope or the James Webb Space Telescope. We're hoping to see the actual light from the object because those can see deep enough that we can actually see the white dwarf. Yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about, too, that you can make this discovery and say, here's how massive it is. Here's the kind of star. And you've still you've never gotten any light from it. You have no pictures. You have no it's all just deductions. Yeah, microlensing is a very strange beast. (laughs) Yeah, I think the quote is, you know, we're looking for planets we can't see around stars we can't see, which is kind of what microlensing is, yeah. No, that's awesome. All right, Dr. Blackman, thanks so much for talking to us about your discovery and your methods. Thanks for having me. When you make your next trip to the museum, you can always visit our Charles Hayden Planetarium for the latest exoplanet discoveries. And while you're home, 
Follow the Museum of Science on social media for more on the James Webb Space Telescope's deployment and its first look at star systems beyond our own. Until next time, keep asking questions. <laughs>